Well, I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 78, Psalm 78, which is found pretty close to the, right in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have one handy, there are some on the uh, ends of the pews there that you can, can grab hold of and find that passage, Psalm 78. And we'll actually be looking at uh, verses 1 through 8, not verse, not just verses 1 through 6, which was my mistake in the, the worship guide there. And as we, uh, we turn here today, I'll remind us that we've uh, had the privilege this, this fall of really looking at, really going all the way back to August, at, at our overall vision statement as a church, uh, that we're committed to glorifying God by inviting all into God's grace. And then we have walked through some of the core values. We call them transforming principles for living in God's grace, and certainly they are. Uh, over the last uh, two months or so, we have walked through some of those, starting with the idea of faith in action, which is, is a huge theme for all of our lives, and then sort of narrowing in a little bit more specifically, talking about truth and teaching, connecting in community and serving in missions, and then uh, two weeks ago, getting even more down to the nitty-gritty and talking about this idea of cross-generational discipleship, of the fact that each one of us is not just a believer in Christ, but if we're in Christ, we're a, a disciple of his and called, invited, directed to then be participating in making other disciples and that really that happens in its uh, best form where there can be a mix across uh, generations from ages and stages of life that we strengthen and equip one another we saw several weeks ago. And then today we come to this topic of investing in families, which is a, a huge one, and we could speak about a lot of different areas, but I thought Psalm 78 would be a great place for us to, to use to look in the Scriptures and think about this idea. I invite you to stand with me. I'll read aloud as you read along silently. Uh, we stand in this recognition of the power, the truth, and uh, the greatness of, of God's Word. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I'll utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, commandments that they should not be like their fathers, stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You may be seated, and as you do, let me pray again for our time. Oh, Father, uh, we thank You, as we've already been uh, meditating on today, for the way that You work uh, in and through uh, families. Uh, Lord, that that's part of Your plan. I really pray that You would equip us during our time today in your word to understand what that means for us, understand what that means for us collectively as a church body, and to, uh, to live it out, empowered by you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, I recently came across the story in a book by the author Greg Ogden of a roadwork crew who were sent out to dig a trench along a stretch of roadway on a hot summer day. And the foreman simply told them that they needed to start digging about four feet deep and start with a stretch about 30 feet long. They did so, pulling all of that dirt out with their shovels and beginning to work up quite a sweat. And immediately when they were done, the foreman told them to put all the dirt right back in that same trench. This went on for several times as the morning went on and the sun rose higher and higher and the tempers of the workers with it as they got frustrated and began to complain about having to dig these trenches and fill them back in with dirt again and again. Only then did the foreman decide to notify the work crew that in fact they were very close to a nearby orphanage, and that the main water line feeding in and providing those little many children in the orphanage was cracked somewhere along the road and the uh, runoff, if you will, from the cattle fields nearby was seeping into that water supply and making all of these children incredibly sick. Foreman said, it's our job to find the leak. All the sudden, these workers that had gotten frustrated and pretty weary began to kick into gear, going twice as fast as they had before, digging along and filling in trenches and digging along and filling in trenches until they finally, with smiles on their face, found the leak and were able to fix it. If you think about it for a minute, what a change it made for them to know what their bigger purpose was, to understand in this day-to-day demanding task what it was that they were trying to do. And really, so too for us as a church today, we think about this theme of investing in families, not only to understand God's bigger picture for our individual family situation, whatever that may be for you today at your stage in life or situation, but to really understand God's picture for us collectively as a church to help support and invest in families. That as we do so, we're in a sense bringing refreshing waters to those who would otherwise be spiritual orphans and only able to drink from the polluted waters that this world has to offer. That's our purpose. That's our purpose individually, wherever we are in our family situation. That's our purpose, we pray, as a church family who's particularly committed to this idea. And I put it in your worship guide in the back sections where the sermon notes are, and just put the main idea down this way of our time this morning. That since God often works through families, that we should invest in families as a church. Since that's the way he rolls, if you will, that ought to be the way we roll. The first question that comes to our mind is what we believe about families. We've got to ask that. What do we believe about families? 
And uh, what do we believe our individual families should look like? So it's not just a matter of sort of the cultural issues, which, which believers ought to be concerned about, I think, about the redefining of family, of marriage even, to be something other than a man and a woman, or even about a more longer-term challenge for us of uh, easy sort of no-fault divorce and what that can sometimes do to families. It's not just about those things or about supporting uh, organizations like the Family Research Council or Focus on the Family. All of those things are good, but it really comes much more close home to each of us. And a lot of it depends on what our particular story is when it comes to family. When I say that word family, that means something to each one of us. And it may have a positive vibe. It may have a negative vibe. It may be, you know, a mix in the middle. And regardless of where we are, we've responded to that. Uh, For some of us, whether we realize it or not, because we maybe had a challenging family background, we really make, we really elevated our individual family unit right now and almost made an idol out of it and really want to guard it and protect it. Don't want anything to rock it or bump it. And it's something really that we hold on to and almost scared to trust into the Lord's hands. For others that have maybe had a challenging family sort of background, we don't have a map. We don't have an understanding or insight as to how to direct our family. So we're sort of grabbing at straws, trying to find what some answers might be. Maybe even if we've had a fairly stable family background, there's certainly been pain, there's been disappointment, things that color how we view family. Some maybe here are a little further down the road and and the little ones are maybe out of the house or getting close to being out of the house and there's been some water under the bridge. And that's a painful thing about family, of feeling disappointments, what I could have, should have, would have along the way. And for those that in that category who hear the word family, there's a real need for God's grace and God's mercy to pierce through and to be freed from those burdens of what we should have, could have, would have done and know that God is gracious and loving even for our failings and shortcomings as parents and to be equipped by being freed to help support other families here, even if it's talking about your mistakes, things you wish you would have done differently to help others to learn from that. Maybe some of us here family, and we don't think so much about being parents. We think about our stumbles and shortcomings as a child. Maybe a child later on in life, or maybe a child when we were younger and some of the difficulties we may have brought to bear. And certainly we have little ones here. Little ones, this is for you as well. There's a calling when we talk about families. God has a purpose for you, children, here today. And who God wants you to be as a part of your family. It's not just all on your parents. He's got a a good word for you to hear. But whatever our situation, it certainly helps us to look to God's word, to see what his picture, his directive is, his grace and mercy is to families. Let's do that today in our time together. And the first way that, that I want to look at it is just a look at the overall picture of scriptures. And there's, there's a lot that's there. But thinking back just to the beginning of Genesis, it is important for us to notice that it's not just sort of a, a contemporary political or social issue. God did establish the idea of family. He's the one that came up with it. Genesis chapter 2, father and mother leave, a man and woman leave their father and mother 
cleave and become one flesh, this picture that these two will come together and establish this unit that we call a family. And that out of that will come uh, children often, and that the Lord is in his purposes working through that. His commandments speak to families. It talks about honoring your father and mother, so the commandments speak to it. That's kind of the positive side, just starting in the Old Testament, if you will. Basically, the rest of the Old Testament trajectory is a beautiful picture of how God manages to work through fallen and brokenness in families. That's the message from that point on. We see it right away with uh, Adam and Eve. Really, once the evil one starts to tempt them, you remember how they interact with one another, play the blame game. You see that tension comes in for the parental unit of the family. You see their children, Cain and Abel. That's not a pretty story either. Noah with his sons who uh, mistreated him in, in some way. We might not understand all of that passage, but it certainly was something that offended Noah. Abraham uh, wanting to circumvent God's promises and trusting in him by having a child with Hagar instead of Sarah. And the list goes on and on up through David and all of his uh, all of his infidelity and actions that came out of that. Then we see this picture in the New Testament. Again, sort of a refreshing idea that God's still working through families because you remember, and we're going to think about it in a couple of weeks here for Advent, how does the Son of Man come into the world? How does the Divine One, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, He comes through a family line, through Joseph's line, and comes into a family unit. The Lord Jesus is born to Joseph and Mary. And then we have other passages in the New Testament, the Ephesians 5 passage that reminds us how husbands are supposed to lead with this bold love to to really lay down their life for their bride. And wives are to respond to the leadership of their husbands with respect. And, And these passages as well there that remind us that parents have responsibility to raise their children in the nurture of the Lord and not to exasperate their children when they do it. One other passage, before we look at Psalm 78, that's really interesting to me in light of all this, and you can turn there if you want, is Matthew chapter 10. You might want to turn there because you might not believe it unless you look there. See it? Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, reminds us that that there's a specific place for family in God's plan. And as much as it is important and strengthening is important, we need to be careful to keep it where God wants it to be in our list of priorities. Verse 37 of Matthew 10, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, and whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think Jesus is reminding us there, uh, not only that sometimes people might hesitate to receive Christ and come to salvation because maybe some of their family have not yet trusted in him, and they're hesitant to accept the work of Christ, realizing that, That means something maybe for family members that haven't yet received it. I don't think it's just about that. He also recognizes that family is one of those good things in life. It's like like food. It's like material possessions. It's like entertainment. It's like all those things that bring us pleasure. They're good things from God. But if we're not careful, we can 
elevate them really above God. And Jesus said, all this is really supposed to be about me, about who I am. So our families aren't an end to themselves. They're an avenue for us to really enjoy the blessing of God and enjoy his purposes and plans for us. Psalm 78. Let's flip back over there and walk through these uh, verses one by one because there's a, a great deal there for us. I, I love where it starts. It's interesting. A, a passage is kind of about families and and we might immediately think to parenting and children with little ones around because it's kind of this picture of, of passing on the message of the faith to, to these younger generations. It's fascinating to me that he starts out, verse 1, and says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. you got little ones or even all the way up through high school age ones or maybe some that are empty nest kids out of there. What's the hardest thing to do sometimes for parents? Get those little ones to just listen, just give attention, pay attention, hear what's being said. And the psalmist says that, of course, not just to the the children who are being addressed, but it says it to us as God's children who struggle sometimes to hear and to listen to his purposes. goes on in verse 2 and it says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. That sounds a little creepy that almost sounds like a halloween kind of verse right there dark sayings from of old that seems interesting what's it saying it's telling us that these are dark sayings not in some ominous way but in the sense that they're kind of hidden tucked away protected worthy to be kept secure in some hidden place and that's the value of god's teaching and it goes on in verse 3 Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Here's an interesting statement again about how we're to build our families on God's word and God's truth. It's saying here that, you know, God's word isn't always going to be something new or flashier that we've never heard before. It might be things that have long been known, that have been kept for a while. And as our culture runs often to every new fad of life and certainly of family life, that sometimes the most revolutionary thing that you and I can do is to just stand on what's always been said on God's word and the wisdom of the ages. And then look at verse 4. This is just marvelous when we think about it. It says, we will not hide them, these realities, from their children, but tell the coming generations. And what are we going to tell? What's God calling you moms and dads to pass on to the kids? What's God's calling us as a church to really be equipping ourselves to pass on to the future generations? The glorious deeds of the Lord, his might, and the wonders that he has done. Think for a minute just off the top of your head. What are some of those things that God has done? What are the glorious deeds and realities about him? I just made a quick list for our purposes today, but we could, we could keep going for quite a while. Just the fact that God exists. Isn't that, that's an amazing thing that there is one who's existing. He exists in a triune nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He exists in a sort of family, Father and Son in a relationship, community. It's kind of modeled in the very existence of who God is. He creates. He, he makes us. He made the idea of family. He makes you and me. He 
not only does that, but as his people fall and turn away from him, he calls them back to himself. He's about the business of rescuing a people. He gives us good commands and directives like the one we're sort of reading today that tells us how to live, what to do with our lives and with our families. He's restraining the evil one we see in scriptures. That's one of the glorious things he does. We ought to pray for it. God, just protect my family. Put a shield of protection around it and the families in our church that are being or that are being touched by our church. He forgives. He loves even in the midst of his righteous judgment. He does all of that. And then think about, again, the season we're about to come into in a month or so. How does he work out his marvelous deeds? Through something as amazing as the incarnation. Coming into the world and not leaving us alone, but coming to be our Savior and our Rescuer. And then for him to go and suffer crucifixion on a cross. And then to gloriously be raised up. And then to give us the promise of heaven. The scriptures say he's preparing a place for us. So think about that if we're wondering, okay, what can I impart to to those around me, the families, what can I can I give to my kids as a parent? Just start talking about the glorious things God has done in that general way, let alone all the things we probably each of us could share that he's done in our lives specifically. Verse five reminds us that we are to teach in particular the commandments as well, not just tell the great things about God, but remind through families it's a key unit for us to to understand God's law his commands and then verse 6 is really neat in light of the fact that we talked last week about cross-generational discipleship uh, not not in the midst of families but but as a church family here it's reminding us verse 6 that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn and arise and do what tell them to their children the family's a, a little mini discipleship unit. It's a little place for us to be passing it on and to be leading little ones to be disciples of Jesus so they might lead the next generation as well. Verse 7 and verse 8 are interesting as well because it gives us at least a picture of the, the contrasting pathways. One direction things can go or another direction things can go. Verse 7 gives a positive picture. Set our hope in God. Don't forget the works of God. Keep His commandments. Those are the kind of things that begin to happen when we're praying and asking God to work in families and investing in families as a church. And conversely, verse 8, these are the kind of things we'll be protected against from being just a stubborn, rebellious generation, from hearts that aren't steadfast and a spirit that's not faithful to God. I thought it would be good to spend the last couple minutes of our time today uh, thinking through all of this through one particular uh, story, and it is a, a missionary story, but I don't want us to get caught up too much in, in that. It's just an interesting story because as you read the biography of the uh, fairly famous missionary John G. Patton, he attributes a lot of who he ended up being as a believer, as a leader for the gospel, to his family, to the background of his family. And uh, it's a little rough to read the story of John G. Patton to begin with, but let me uh, read a few thoughts to introduce him, and then I've got a couple of quotes that are in your worship guide as we draw some application points at the end of our time this morning. 
Patton was that uh, missionary that felt called of God to go to the New Hebrides. Uh, uh, Vanuatu is the name of the island chain now, but they were called the New Hebrides at the time. And he felt called of God. He was from Scotland and had grown up in a Christian uh, family. And yet, uh, as he prepared to go out, this was in the late 1800s, others had already gone before to these same islands. And if you've ever heard the story, you know that those who went in the late 1830s, several missionaries, immediately, when they landed on the New Hebrides, were killed and were consumed by the cannibalist uh, inhabitants of the New Hebrides Islands. Not surprisingly, some decided in 1859 or so when uh, when John G. Patton was preparing to go to caution him against this adventure, that maybe this wasn't the greatest idea to go forth. Uh, Mr. Dixon, in particular, spoke to John G. Patton and warned him. Uh, Mr. Dixon was a little bit older in his stage of life, and John G. Patton responded famously, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. That's who John G. Patton was, he would eventually go to these islands, and though through much difficulty and initially very little response, he would eventually have a very significant impact for the gospel. But listen to what shaped him. And I'm thankful for uh, John uh, Piper, pastor in our own time, for pointing me to some of these resources. Prayer was a huge thing that shaped him, that came through his family. And as we think about who we're called to be as families, I think prayer ought to be at the centerpiece of that. And in your worship guide, I think there's the statements from Patton about how prayer marked the life of his family and how it impacted him. Listen to this. Though everything else in in religion were by some unthinkable... uh, catastrophe, to be skept, swept out of memory, were blotted from my understanding. My soul would wander back to those early scenes. He's describing his own father praying as they were growing up. And shut itself up again in that sanctuary closet, a closet where his father would pray. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal, referring to his father. He walked with God. Why may not I? Then he goes on, he says, How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain. Nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees, and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. And for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if the presence of the living Savior and learned to know And love him, the Lord, as our divine friend. What a picture of prayer. How that can set a tone for our families. We don't have a lot of time to talk about truth. We talked about 
truth a few weeks ago and the vital nature that God's Word has in our lives, whether it's the Jesus Storybook Bible or God's Big Picture or the Action Bible my boys like or just opening this book, obviously exposing ourselves to the truth, Patton acknowledged that that changed him and transformed him. But let's finish by talking about how not just prayer and not just truth in his family, but love transformed him. And this is not in your worship guide, but I'll read it to you. It comes from the uh, scene when John G. Patton was preparing to leave this family. He was one of 11 uh, children, but his father was going to walk him. And this were times where travel was not nearly as convenient as today. So they had to walk 40 miles to get to the train station. And then essentially uh, John G. Patton's departure to his seminary training was going to be a long, you know, long separation. They were preparing for the longest separation they had ever experienced as father and as son. And listen to this beautiful picture and let it uh, both encourage us and challenge us for the power that God's love can have for us in the families in our church as we seek to live out love as well. He says, my dear father walked along with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that part of the journey are as fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying his hat in hand with his long flowing yellow hair, then yellow, but in later years white as snow, streaming like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which speech was in vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand for a minute in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips were now moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted and I ran off as fast as I could. And when, about to turn the corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and I saw him standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I rounded the corner out of sight in an instant. But my heart was so full and sore to carry me further, so I darted to the side of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed up the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me, but he did not see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, his face toward home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears. Till his form faded from my gaze, and then hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and to act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, we know that the very most important thing for each one of us, whether we're a senior adult or middle-aged life with little, little ones running around or a child here today, is to live as our Heavenly Father would have us to live. We thank you for uh, this picture from the life of at least one believer who took time to record how prayer and the truth of your word and love transformed uh, his family and transformed his life. And we pray, Lord, that the families of our church might be marked by these same realities And that through that, the praiseworthy deeds of you, our Lord, would be imparted to the next generation and the generation after them. Would you help us, Lord, to fulfill this vision for our church and for our families individually, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.